Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, and I'm driving, so we're going to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there's no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. This is season four, where we're tackling the church part of that question. How do we see simple churches start for next to nothing among lost people? I really enjoyed this conversation with Grateful, who tells us the story of starting churches in some difficult places. Of course, any place is difficult, and his challenges at the end are a great reminder of the type of people we should seek to be as we pursue a no-place-left vision. Let's jump in. Yeah, well, thanks, Grateful. I'm excited to hear from you and hear your story, but let's just start with that. I mean, just tell me your story of coming to know Jesus and even where where it brought you up to this point. Man, so there's several chapters to the story. How much of the story, how long of the story would you like? <laughs> would you like the three-minute version, the five, the 30-second? Uh, it's, it's a long story. Yeah, give me the, yeah, let's do the, I'd love to hear your kind of two to three-minute story. Okay, so here's the 90-second the version, <laughs> or the 120-second version. My mother and my father, and well, my, my mother was addicted to crack cocaine. My father was addicted to crack cocaine. My uncle and my aunt and my brother was one of the biggest drug dealers in Bay City. I'm an 80s baby, so I grew up in the crack um, pandemic, dealt with a lot of poverty, didn't really know who God was or anything as it relates to God pre-seven years old. My mom and my, my dad, they were married, but I never got to see that. Oh, I just knew of uh, staying with my brother and staying with my mother. When I turned seven, my mother basically said that it was time for me to go live with my dad so I could learn to be a man. But since he was dealing with his addiction, it was really my grandfather and my grandmother who, who took up that that um, mantle to raise me. Living with her, you had to go to church on uh, Mondays, Sundays, Saturdays, Thursdays, YPD, the whole night. It, it wasn't optional. If you lived in her house, you were going to go to church. So at seven years old, I gave my life to Christ at an AME church. I grasped on the faith and crying out for God. And even at a young age, um, I, I had a very good relationship with Christ. In fifth grade, I walked into my classroom. And uh, a girlfriend of mine told me that that my brother was dead. They killed my brother. They took him up to Houston, shot him up full of bullets and spray painted Die J-Rock on the back of his blue jean jacket. So that took my life from bad to worse. I was already diagnosed ADD, ADHD. I was in and out of trouble, steady fighting, getting suspended, eventually got into gangs and selling drugs. Long story short, from fifth grade to 12th grade, it was just a tumultuous back and forth of trying to have a positive life and do good things and struggling with anger and frustration and, and not understanding. Eventually get to the point where I had the option to go to church, went to church for a little longer. Then, of course, I stopped going to church. The further I got away from God, the easier it was for me to sin. Graduated high school. And it got even worse. So that's when I um, eventually got into using drugs and gang banging and selling dope and just going to strip clubs and all kind of things. It just got way worse. So in 2007, I ended up getting locked up and going to jail. Long story short, when I was in there, I didn't wasn't thinking about changing. Uh, I just go stop 
doing a certain peel, dum-dums, bars, because I believe that was the reason that I was in there. Um, my three-year-old daughter ended up walking into the visitation where she wasn't supposed to, walked across one way, came back the other way, saw me, started banging on the window and crying, daddy, daddy, something broke inside of me, went back to my cell, stopped doing all the illegal stuff that I was doing, uh, rededicated my life to Christ, immediately started a Bible study and started discipling people in the jail, got out, um, wanted to spend time with my baby mama. She wasn't thinking about me. Um, um, that night left the club, disappeared for a week, came back that Sunday because I had no peace about the drugs and all the things that I was doing during that weekend. Told my baby mama, my then baby mama, either we was getting married or I was leaving. Also told her that I'm a reborn virgin now and I wasn't having sex again. And she didn't want to leave me. It was, she was she didn't want to get married, but she didn't want to give up all this. So that was like the second week in January, January the 30th. We got married. That was in 2007. We've been married ever since then. 2012, I answered my call to the ministry. 2014, uh, on my way home, I told my wife that I think God wants me to quit my job of seven years and go full time ministry. Came home, got up the next day, got dressed like I normally do for work. So I had on my button-up shirt and my tie, and I went to a wealthy neighborhood. And I basically said, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what God wants me to do. I just quit my job yesterday. Can I pray for you? And I would pray for him, and then God began to tell me what he wanted me to say, what he wanted me to do. And that's how he began guiding my life. We went from doing street revivals, feeding the homeless. This entire time, God was cultivating rapport and things in the community, in the neighborhood, um, mentoring kids, things of that nature. We get to um, the end of we, we get to 2014, around 2014, and I'm sitting in my living room and I am mentoring a kid that's connected to my pastor and his a pastor of his. And the guy's addicted to meth, and he's into music. We're working on some music in the little home studio. And he's looking on Instagram and he sees a random white guy from Fifth Ward, Houston. that says, hey, if you call me, I'll help. He actually calls the dude. I talk to the dude. He sends a bus ticket, puts him in a rehab, puts him in a manor house, gets some mentors. He comes back about and starts talking about planting churches and sharing the gospel and hip hop hope and a whole bunch of other things that he learned during this time. And he's like, hey. You've been doing this for this long. The people already know you. You got the rapport, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, let's connect and do this. So I was like, you know, it had a long history. So I wasn't just like super excited about this thing that I didn't know what it was. You know, God was already moving in, in my community and, and in my life. So, you know, I was pretty comfortable with just continue letting them leave me. So I ended up going and meet with a guy about this tip hop hope thing and found out it was everything I prayed for. I had prayed for people my age that, you know, was doing this, that was on fire, that I didn't have to beg. I had been praying for being on mission. I had been praying for training. All this stuff all came in like this, this little nice little neat box. And it just launched. Um, well, we ended up having an event connected to that right after that. And it just shook my community, uh, completely shifting the atmosphere where we began leading people to Christ, planting churches and discipling on another level. Sorry, a little longer than expected. Wow, that's all good, man. That was exciting. Can you tell me when you, you told that end of the story where you first heard about what Hip Hop Hope was doing, 
what was different than what you were doing? Was it just the fact that they were getting to churches? What made it kind of this new thing for you? Uh, what was slightly different than what you had already been doing? Well, in 2007, when I got out and I had rededicated my life to church, life to God, I wanted to find a church home. So um, my wife had been going to this one church. It was a very big and popular church in Bay City, but I wasn't interested in going to that church. And she didn't have a relationship with Christ. She was just a pew member there. So what I said, I said, hey, let's find a place that we can go and worship together. Well, a guy that I knew from the streets that actually worked at a job with my mom, did a lot of the things that I was doing, had went to prison for three years. But while he was in prison, God had did amazing transformation in his life. When he came out, he was pastoring. So he ended up sitting under somebody. Long story short, I went to go get my hair cut at uh, a guy that has been cutting around here for a while who's also a pastor. And he happened to be cutting there. So I'm telling him about me getting out. And he's telling me about, you know, hey, you know, I did three, et cetera, et cetera. I remember your mom's. I got a church, you know, a little small church, maybe about 20 minutes away. You should come check it out. So me and my wife went there and we loved it. And God just immediately began using me there, you know, doing transportation ministry, doing the media ministry, opening the church, cleaning the church to um, eventually preaching. And, you know, he ba he basically took me under his wing and started, you know, kind of, you know, Paul and Timothy me. And but I didn't have no peace. Like it was OK for a while, but. I just kept feeling like God wants me to do more. Like, this is not enough. Like, you know, the one-on-one -on -one discipleship is not there. And all, all just the things that we're doing now, you know, it's like missions and people training. And I, I had no example of none of this, but all this was in my heart. All this was in my spirit. So I eventually got enough courage to tell him, hey, I got to leave, you know. So I, I left and began doing the one-on-one -on -one discipleship, began the, the road to being in the community and doing life on life and things of that nature. But when I got to Hip Hop Hope, they had a whole infrastructure, you know. So this journey for me in Bay City was mostly me. And then it was me and my family and God would send people. But I didn't have any support. I didn't have a team. Um, I had no not much physical support and hardly hardly any financial support. So, you know, it was everything we did was like we walked by faith, walked by faith with our car, our bills, everything, just believe, you know, believing God will provide. So the difference was when I got with them, there was a whole team of people that were just like me. You know, that um people that were from the streets, people that were young, people that like hip hop, people, you know, that that hunger and thirst for for righteousness and there was accountability groups and eyes on me and hip hop hope became the I can't think how to put it in words, but I was I was pretty much on my own. You know, I was pretty much on my own pre them, you know, except for what God was adding. So the, the, they had a whole, like I said, they had a whole infrastructure and they had a system and they had, you know, a, they had a team and things of that nature. So I, I would say the support physically, the support, you know, some financial support, just it was a lot for me to learn. Also, it was a lot of things that I didn't know that they provided. So that that's some of the things that was the difference. Tell me the pathway to get from maybe an event like you described to seeing a, a church form out of people that were formerly lost. 
Could you just kind of explain what that pathway looks like and, and maybe a story if you guys have seen that recently? This journey started for me in 2007, full-fledged in 2012, and where I'm at now just started as of June. So I would use previous experience to explain the story. Previously, it started off with not not any particular structure or goal, just simply in love with Christ and love with people organically being obedient to the word as far as going out into the communities, praying for people. And as we pray for people, we would identify and try to meet needs in the process of meeting those needs. Um, we would gather on things that were we agreed on, whether it was coming together to do a Bible study or to do music or whatever the whatever the case was. So we would have things that were sim- similarities and we would gather on those things and would turn a basketball game into an opportunity to share the gospel or um, people out there shooting dice or selling drugs and we just, you know, going off of prayer, sharing the gospel, leading them to Christ. And asking, hey, can I come back this Wednesday or can I come back this Monday or when are y'all out here? Well, we're out here on Thursday. Can I come on that Thursday? And, you know, we just, you know, kick it, maybe eat some pizza and just, you know, talk about the word. And they would be like, yeah, cool. You know, I would like that. You know, I, I wanted that. I've been praying for that. You know, just meeting them where they are and just um, cultivating the relationship and letting it grow where it was going to grow. So that was one way. Now. Engaging with Hip Hop Hope in Bay City, we had a, a really huge event. It was probably about 100, 150 people that came out. And when we had that event, it really ignited a flame in our city. So immediately when we began to talk about um, gathering and things of that nature, people were on board. So we we had the event. We began to um, that night. Of course, we had a gospel share and um, opportunity to get baptized, all that kind of stuff, and begin to reach out. So immediately when we came back into the community, they were ready to gather. So it was just a process of taking it from gathering to being more specific and adding structure to it. And since I had already been trained in a, a system where. I could teach them the characteristics and we kind of had a, a game plan um, with the meet immediately when we began gathering, we began implementing those characteristics of praying and worshiping and, and, you know, at the same time meeting needs at the same time, you know, being sensitive to whatever the Holy Spirit was doing and not getting caught up in a rigor mortis, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That's kind of how it went with that. Now in Houston, when we moved here, it was a lot different. We uh, from that point on, we kind of always came in with a big bang, some really big event. And and that would kind of get the fire going when we moved here praying. I was praying to God about the vision for Greenspoint. And one of the main things he told me was let them meet you as people before they meet you as a program. So we when we came in, we prayed the first day. And we didn't meet a lot of people. Outside of that, it it was very organic. We would like walk people's dog, um, carry their help them carry their food to the house, 
be outside as a family, just, you know, having fun, playing. My dog would run off and get loose and run into the neighbor's little area, and I would run and go get the dog. And then that was, you know, our dog was very evangelical <laughs> and would introduce us to a lot of people. So actually, one of the, the, the leaders right now is through our dog running into their gate. So those type of things. And after about a couple of months of that, um, we we went out prayer walking, sharing the gospel and planted a church. It was already cultivated. You know, the, the people already prepared for that. They, they knew who our family was. You know, we already were, was, was in relationship with them um, before, quote unquote, religion even got involved. So this time around. It wasn't explosive. It wasn't, you know, very loud, but it had the same results. Since then, it's it's been going pretty well. What do you find as some of the biggest challenges? There's a lot of competition. Hmm. Not competing churches, and, and churches shouldn't be in competition, so that's not what I mean. There's no competition church-wise because even in Bay City, like we have, it's a small town, but it has around 50 churches. But the main thing that people would say is they're never here. They're not in the community, you know. So all the things we did, we were sold. We were by ourselves. You know, very rarely will we see anybody who said they were a believer who was coming out to do more than pass out a fly and ask them to come. So but what I mean, there's no there's no uh, there's a lot of competition. I mean that there's a lot of battlefields of the mind. So we're competing with the people believing that that Christianity is just for white people. We're competing with sectors like Hebrew Israelites or certain sects that like Egypt Egyptologists that are pushing something that may make feel people comfortable and familiar, but there's a lack of clarity and truth in it. We're we're competing with economic situations or church herds or, you know, things of that. So there's a lot of competition when we come in that there's a pre-mindset. Like people, I've I've only had this in Houston, but people were like, well, I wasn't sure if you were a cult. (laughs) Or I didn't know if you were, and this is not a knock to them. You know, it's for another conversation, but I didn't know if you were Jehovah. I didn't know if you were more. I didn't know this, that, and the other. I was like. I kind of looked at what I had on. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of uh, um, mindsets that, you know, people already have. I actually had a guy come to me and said, I've never seen nothing like this, you know, in my entire life that what y'all are doing. Um, I had a guy from California said, I've, I've seen a lot of, you know, quote unquote, church type of situations, but I've, I've never seen a body of believers do these type of things. And to me, it's, it's, I understand because I hadn't either, but it's hard for me to understand because all the things that we're doing are biblical. It's nothing special, it's nothing, you know, but it's not a habit of Christians based off of what the community is saying to us. So I would say that's the hardest thing, just competing with those different battlefields of the mind. Wow. So as you see these churches start to form and do you have any stories or what comes to mind for how these churches grow, how, whether they grow in number or whether they grow more like Christ? What, what's uh, what are you seeing as far as these new churches and how they grow? 
I saw in Bay City from zero churches, church plants, the church plants multiplying generationally across leaders to a network. So we originally started in Bay City, which is somewhere between 17 to 23,000 people, very small town, no churches here, to several churches here, to branching out to Bowling, which is about 20 minutes down the road, Warden, which is about 35 minutes down the road, and Victoria, which is an hour and a half down the road. Bay City, Bowling, Warden, and Victoria, four different cities, planting churches and raising up leaders um, in a way that was foreign to each one of those places. That's something that was the furthest thing from my mind when it started, mm-hmm. and it and it it happened through multiple channels. It didn't happen just simply by going out and share the gospel. It, it happened by, you know, um, spreading seed all over and, and growing, growing the, the mindset of planting the disciple and equipping them. So when they do move or when they do go out, they can continue to do the same thing. And they've accepted their priesthood and they're f- fully committed to the gospel and things of that nature. You know, being in the prison system and, and all those type of things where he would raise up somebody or know somebody or meet somebody somewhere that was not close to him, but happened to be close to me. But since I was, you know, raised up, I could go out there, you know. So through different channels and different ways and different situations, the connections happen. They were all, you know, very organic situations. It even happened that like, Victoria, which is two hours away, 90 minutes to two hours away, where um, it was Trey Nine was the reason that I ended up going down there to train a leader. Happened to be the place that I moved out of, went, moved to when I left Bay City and did like all kind of horrible, crazy stuff, you know, just as, as a youth. But it was a place that I had a heart for and a place that I was familiar with and a place that, you know, I didn't I wasn't intentionally trying to go to. But God opened up a door and, you know, we had stories and conversations in common because of things that uh, direction God had sent me previous to that. And even the, the guy in Warden, when we hooked up, I had been reaching out to this guy for years on some music stuff because he was a Christian artist. But it never happened. But through different friends and, and training and this, that and the other, he ended up being the one guy in that city that ended up connected to us. And because of that, we already had a relationship. God was maneuvering and, and connecting and doing things the entire time that put the put it together. What brought you to Houston? What is there any part of the story that brought you to Houston? The church network, the out-of-the-box out church network came from Guy Kasky, um, M4 Network. And he and Trey Nine from Ozomi Hip Hop Hope Missions were Albert and Costello, <laughs> um, <laughs> Paul and Barnabas. You know, they they were they were equals, right? But God was really over the the church planning. And some time later, you know, some some time later, he ended up launching that network and, and launching it out where Out the Box Church became its own network. And he ended up becoming the, trying to remember his title, the church planning pastor, something to that nature for for Woods Edge um, Community Church in Houston. 
And they were in the process of sending out a missionary to Greenspoint. Uh, we have been connected for several years. Um, he's very familiar with where God started with me and what, uh, what God allowed me to be um, at that point and recommended me to come out and basically do the same thing in Greenspoint that we had been doing here. But that wasn't an um, immediate yes for me. <laughs> There was so much work to do in my community, and we were in, at that point that I got the call, we were either getting ready to have or just had our third murder in like uh, about a two to three week span. We were in a really bad place in the city. So the, the, the worst things to happen, the more I felt like this is where I needed to be, this is where God wants me to be, et cetera, et cetera. I always told my wife that said I would never leave Bay City. She was, she always telling everybody he'll never leave Bay City. He loves Bay City. He's never going anywhere. And I always thought, well, you know, wherever God wants me to go, that's you know that's where I'll go. So I continued to pray and continue to pray. And he, he finally gave me peace about um, moving my family to Greenspoint, Houston, which is probably I don't know 20, 30, 40 times bigger <laughs> than the city where I'm from. Where I knew everybody, where I went to school with everybody, you know, um, gangbangs, sold drugs, used drugs, were a lot of the kids' parents and been knowing, you know, I, I've been here a majority of my life, you know, so mo most people know me and most of the people I know. So uh, there was a, a special relationship here and an instant rapport, you know, and understanding. I could say, hey, I know your mother. I know your grandmother. I went to school. I did this, that, and the other. Um, none of these things would I be able to say in Houston, in, in this neighborhood where nobody knew us. Nobody knew our family. We're not familiar with the area, um, the driving, the traffic, none of that. So mm -hmm. it was basically starting at ground zero like I had never before. Wow. What are you trusting God for now that you're there? What are you hoping to see him do? And in, 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 at the risk of sounding cliche, <laughs> uh, I'm believing for no place left where I'm at. I'm believing mm. the apartment complex that I'm in is 350 apartments. So first, I'm believing for no place left in the apartment complex. That's mm -hmm. that's that's my immediate goal to um, see no place left, and you know we're we're on good track to do that. The next goal, there's like there's several apartments. That's my next goal. Um, in the midst of doing this, is we're beginning to plant seeds out there as well, and to try to identify leaders and people who's willing to spearhead those apartments. You know, God kind of gave me this this uh, this apartment mindset with the ministries here in Bay City, whereas like if we can um, see the gospel reached in all the apartments, then with those apartments, we can begin to see the neighborhoods and the city. That's kind of my mindset and my approach to it. So here in Houston, kind of the same way. Um, so as as we begin to see pollination in, in the apartments that's in the area, then north side of Houston, Greens Point, which our, our phrase is changing, they call it Guns Point. So our phrase is, uh, we're going from Guns Point to God's Point. So that's like our mantra in this area. So from the apartments, the apartments around Greens Point, the north side of Houston, Houston, Texas, then the world. Amen. 
Hey, I was curious, what does it, what does an apartment church look like? As you just described, you want to see those churches. Can you, can you just give us a, tell us a little bit of a picture, like when they meet, what, what is it, what does an apartment church look like? Right now we meet at Sundays at 10 o'clock. The day and time we meet is always depending on the area. Mm -hmm. So what's a little different than in Bay City is the church that we're planning is the church is a church in the apartment complex, but before planting and, and still to this present day, even though that's the local gathering and they consider it their local church, my mindset and my heart is for it not to be the church. Um, it's called Out the Box Church Tyrannis. So my mentality for that church is for this to be a equipping center and a launching pad. So my prayer is that at least one church, because it's kind of in sections, it's probably about four or five sections in that apartment complex. And my prayer is that we will at least have a, a, a church hub or not a church hub, but a church plant um, in each one of those sections. And then the, the apartment complex allows us to use the floor above. So it's pretty much the same floor plan as the office. And my prayer is that as the churches begin to plan in the apartment complex um, locally, then we will all gather there. So they won't even look where we're at right now as the as one of the churches. They'll look at it as a place to come and get trained, uh, uh, a, a place to train, you know, and like I said, it'll be for equipping, it'll be for launching, it'll be for events and things of that nature and they will take ownership in their own apartment and begin to branch out in that area. Most people know the three-thirds. Is there any, maybe I'd be curious, any changes that you make in, in an apartment or in the urban setting that you're in or is it pretty similar to any three-thirds model? You know, I use a three-thirds model, but I don't get stuck in it. You know, I, I like to imitate you know, things that I see around from whether it's community or different cultures of different countries. Uh, I do a lot of innovating, you know, God gives me different ideas. So uh, I do a, I do a lot of that. And I, I also like, I come from a traditional church. You know, some people think that, and that the traditional church has it all um, wrong and missional churches have it all right. I prefer to think that it's, um, the collaboration is the best. So what I mean by that is in the three thirds church, we don't have a choir, right? But if we had several people there that like to sing and wanted to have a choir, Hey, you know, but you know, it's, it's not the multiplication of it. We're not going to get passed down a DNA that you, you have to have a choir, you know, mm -hmm. but at the same time, we're not going to, um, we're not going to push down and minimize the giftings that, you know, different things that God has called them. So we use art, you know, we use music. Our music selection is very broad from old school gospel all the way up to new gospel, um, gospel that will be maybe considered more in a more in quote unquote white churches to gospel music that's in Spanish to Christian hip hop. Mm. So uh, I, so I would say probably what the the difference would be personal touches that, you know, that that I'm very intentional about making it a, a 
a gathering that's not stuck, that's not limited, and that's not flexible. For anyone that's hearing these stories and they want to see God do something similar, what has your role been, uh, or the role of somebody like yourself been? What What does somebody need to to know or do or be to 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 kind of be in your role as you've seen God do this? I would wanna I would wanna answer for my role because. My role is individual, right? Mm. So I say that because I'm, I'm quote unquote, I'm very uh, apostolic. So mm-hmm. I, I, I function prophetically, evangelically, um, in the shepherding role, and in a teaching role, you know, going, training, different things like that. But that's unique to me and people that's like me. Um, so across the board, what I would say is abiding, like, that that would mm. be the role, like abiding first and foremost, that they have to be actively and intentionally seeking God's face, seeking God's will, um, being in their word and um, allowing, you know, um, God to, to move in, move in their life efficiently and effectively. Um, two, I would say you got to be faithful to your posts. Like if you say God has called you here or God has told you to do this or God has told you to do that, I don't care if it rains. I don't care <laughs> if a hurricane comes in. I don't care if nobody um, is showing up, if everybody's late. But if you're not there wherever he told you to be, if they show up, you won't be there. Right. So you, you won't. And, and, and that's also a faith thing that, you know, the, the follow through of your faith. Um, has to be connected to you being persistent and consistent and you being not there or you being bored of being there is that's as a lack of faith, you know, so the faith, it don't have to be the faith in you. It's just the faith in God. Another thing I I would take is from the, the seven habits of highly effective people sharpening the song, like don't get stuck. Don't get mundane. You know, the stuff that you've done and you've done well, Continue to work at it. Go back and read it. Go back and study it. Go back and revise it. You know, refamiliarize yourself with it. The fourth or the fifth thing, I don't know what I'm on. I would say just flexibility and growth. You know, always be willing to learn. Like um, Romans 12 and 2 says, renewing your mind. And that's that's very spiritual and that's very important. But renewing your mind also means that sometimes your mindset needs a shift and a change. Like you, you may be very gun ho about something this year that next year you realize that maybe you, you need to be, you, you need to be less focused on this, which is non-essential to the gospel and more focused on this, which is essential to the gospel. And uh, I think we're, we're, we're at a point right now that it's very hard for new believers to determine where should our focus be as it relates to um, the kingdom of God on this earth? And where should our focus not be? Let me try to wrap it up by saying that there are some things that are, the life is on a line that is extremely important and pertinent to the salvation and the will of God on this earth. And you should lay it down for nobody. But there are some things on this earth that is important to us and that we think are super duper important. And we will go to the ends of the earth to scream that off on a rooftop and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And God sitting up there saying, yeah, that's not really that important. Yeah. And the last thing, make sure you have some uh, accountability. 
accountability that you can be accountable to, that people can be you that they can be accountable to you and you have, you know, wise counsel around you that's living out biblical life. You can check out the show notes for a few links to the ministries Grateful referenced. You can find those, plus leave a comment or ask a question at ontheroad.link. That's ontheroad.link. Or you can also call or text 321-209-3899. Love to hear from you. This is Feeney. Thanks for listening. The On the Road podcast is to encourage you to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard.